Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, talking to you this week about recent news in the United States and Brazil. And also just wanted to note that uh, I lost my Adobe license recently. Uh, you know, that stuff expires, uh, so I'm on the cheap stuff. Uh, that means that if you think that my audio quality has declined, do I have a URL for you? It's patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. And if you don't think that my audio has declined, then reward me for my good editing work by going to patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. First, from Brazil, we have a, well, maybe an aborted coup. Uh, the story comes to us from Vox or Veja, if you read Portuguese. Uh, Brazilian Independence Day was earlier this week, September 7th. And to commemorate the occasion, Jair Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil and extreme right-wing figure in that country's politics, uh, held massive rallies uh, from his supporters in Sao Paulo, which is the biggest city in Brazil, and Brasilia, which is the capital of Brazil. Uh, there, in Brasilia, rioters clashed with the police, uh, but there were no deaths or breaking of police barriers. So this is one major difference between Bolsonaro's rallies and the January 6th attempted coup by Donald Trump, uh, which was something that uh, Bolsonaro's rallies had been compared to, uh, not just by American pundits, but also in Brazil itself. Um, there are worries that these rallies might um, have been an attempt to get Bolsonaro supporters to invade the Supreme Court building in Brasilia. And there's some good evidence for that, uh, because Bolsonaro spent his time at these rallies uh, promoting the view that the Supreme Court is an enemy of his political movement and his political supporters. Uh, and this is because the Supreme Court in Brazil has been uh, blocking his attempts to change that country's election laws. Bolsonaro wants to change the country's election laws uh, in much the same way that Trump is talking about, you know, how he wanted to or should have or could have changed election laws in the United States in order to make Bolsonaro's victory against his probable opponent in next year's presidential elections more possible. So the big zoom out story here is that uh, Jair Bolsonaro is a relatively unpopular president of Brazil. Uh, he kind of was buoyed by his initial pretty good response to COVID, at least on a socioeconomic level. Uh, he provided people with a you know basic income and food, but all of those provisions have expired. And statistics coming out uh, for the last several months have shown that Brazil's response to COVID has been among the worst in the world uh, in terms of death rates. Uh, Bolsonaro himself is also a vaccine and just general COVID denialist. So the fact that he is holding these rallies uh, is indicative of a kind of political weakness on his part. You know, he's worried about what's coming uh, in his presidential election. Um, he's facing Lula da Silva, who is an extremely popular former president of Brazil, uh, recently imprisoned uh, because of corruption investigations. Uh, Lula against Bolsonaro would probably result in Lula's victory, and Bolsonaro knows that. Uh, that's exactly the problem here, is that a sitting president who has millions of supporters and also has the backing of certain members of the Brazilian military, if you were listening to the podcast a couple weeks earlier, um, he is worried about an upcoming election. And what he might do, what he's giving all indication that he might do, 
is that he might actually use uh, his presidential powers and also these millions of supporters uh, to do it better than, than Trump did and stage his coup before he loses and not after. Uh, of course, this is no laughing matter. Uh, this regards the continuation of democracy in Brazil, uh, which has only been existent in that country for just under 50 years uh, since the restoration of democracy after the country's most recent dictatorship in 1985. Uh, we're going to have to see how this one plays out. Um, it could be extremely bad, or Bolsonaro could just lose. Um, it's hard to tell. Heading over to the United States, we have the restoration, or, you know, the big revamp of the Professor Watchlist, uh, which is an academic, would concern me if there were any jobs for me to apply to. Um, that's a little bit of a joke. Uh, obviously, this should concern everybody uh, if you remember anything about uh, what you learned about McCarthyism in school, for example. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, the Professor Watchlist was started in 2016 by Turning Points USA, uh, which is a right-wing think tank. More on them later. Uh, it's been recently revamped. It's a website. Uh, you can go to professorwatchlist.com, and it has a list of professors uh, that Turning Points USA uh, TPUSA, believes are leftist to the point of needing to be pointed out, uh, leftist to the extent that TPUSA considers them to essentially be enemies of the conservative and right-wing members of society. You know, th they think essentially that they're enemies of the people, uh, wouldn't be too far off of how they talk about these professors. Uh, the list of professors extends beyond the United States, though. Uh, it also includes uh, English-speaking institutions in the United Kingdom and Australia. Uh, and it especially targets uh, professors who accurately depict United States history, uh, particularly when it comes to crimes uh, against humanity uh, in terms of racism, uh, sexual and gender violence, uh, etc. It's part of the current culture war over critical race theory. Uh, the, their current revamping of the website is obviously uh, indicative of their desire to get involved in that. Um, but the thing to keep in mind is that this isn't just like, this isn't just an attack on professors, right? This is an attack on the university system, which is indeed a way in which many people in the United States learn about how the United States really functions or where they learn about how and why the United States is racist and sexist and homophobic and the panoply of other disgusting things that the United States does. Um, it's also a site of uh, a lot of folks' first forays into organization, especially with the gutting of the labor movement. Um, TPUSA itself was founded in 2012 uh, by Charlie Kirk, uh, who, if you're unaware, is a sort of leading young talking head, shithead, right-wing person. Uh, TPUSA is extremely active on college campuses, uh, where it advocates for right-wing college governments, you know, student governments. Uh, and it's effectively a pipeline to more right-wing branches of the established part of the conservative movement. Uh, so uh, forces like Trump, for example. Uh, it has connections to white supremacy, to anti-Semitism, to climate and COVID denialism, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so this is something to keep an eye on, especially if you are involved in academia, uh, have a 
a young person in your life who is entering uh, academia in college. Um, it's something that we're going to have to be careful of because this is the sort of thing that becomes the harbinger of essentially the return of McCarthyism, of uh, people being singled out by the right wing for being anti-American and having their positions taken away from them. Finally, something to celebrate, the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, good riddance. Uh, we also want to note that Donald Trump, former president, uh, sent out a tweet that said that General Lee would have won in Afghanistan, uh, managing to just so massively misunderstand history that I just had to note it, um, especially because, you know, the whole reason that Lee has a statue in Richmond and not Washington, D.C., is that he lost. He lost the war. Uh, he's a loser, a failed military general uh, who could not win a war in his home, let alone in Afghanistan. So uh, good riddance. And speaking of good riddance, I'm going to conclude the episode as I do most episodes with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of right-wing figures in history. This week, we're talking about Hendrik Verwerd, uh, my apologies if I pronounced that incorrectly. I'm trying my best. An Afrikaner prime minister of apartheid South Africa uh, who was assassinated while in office. Uh, Afrikaner indicates that he was a white settler in South Africa, specifically of Dutch origin. Uh, on that note, he was born in Amsterdam in 1901, making him uh, South Africa's only prime minister born outside of the territorial bounds of the country. Uh, his family moved there in 1903 uh, so that his father could be a Lutheran evangelist. Uh, that was the reason that they moved there. Uh, in his childhood, they moved to Rhodesia, a colonial state in what is now modern-day Zimbabwe, uh, where he attended school and was extremely successful. Uh, Verwerd continued his extreme success when his family moved back to South Africa, uh, where he had a by all accounts, brilliant academic career at one of the country's leading universities, uh, getting degrees in sociology, psychology, and philosophy. Uh, he was offered a postdoc at Oxford, uh, but did not like the British Empire, and so instead took a postdoc at Hamburg University in Germany. When he returned to South Africa, he became a leading professor at his alma mater. He then entered national politics um, as a politician for the Nationalist Party, uh, an extreme right-wing party in African politics uh, that, in coalition with the official Afrikaner Party, won elections uh, in South Africa in the 1950s. Uh, this paved the way for the construction of the apartheid regime. For those of you who are unaware of the apartheid system, uh, I do not claim to be an expert, uh, but it was a series of laws, legal regimes, uh, and security practices uh, that systematized segregation, oppression, suppression, and discrimination against black people uh, in South Africa. Uh, so the system was organized at the expense of black people and um, native residents of South Africa. Uh, and it held up the white extreme minority rule um, that the British had established upon their establishment of the South African colonies, and also uh, which the Dutch had established previously. Um, Verwoerd continued his uh, political career uh, throughout the 1950s, 
um, and became the prime minister of the country in 1958 uh, after uh, the successive deaths of the prime ministers who came before him. In 1960, Verwerd held a, uh, a referendum in South Africa um, in which South Africa became the modern South African state that it is today, uh, leaving the British Commonwealth. Uh, he spent the remainder of his political career solidifying the apartheid system throughout the 1960s, um, despite international opposition. Uh, for example, from the United Nations, um, but also from the United States uh, and the United Kingdom, which um, suspended most of their military and arms involvement with South Africa at this time. Uh, Verwerd was also the prime minister of South Africa when Nelson Mandela was jailed for life uh, for sabotage. Uh, he continued, uh, Verwerd that is, uh, continued his electoral success in a rigged system that was specifically designed in part by him uh, before he became prime minister um, to enshrine the power of white voters uh, that essentially made the country exclusively ruled by white people. Um, he survived one assassination attempt earlier in his prime ministership, uh, but was finally successfully killed um, actually in the uh, legislative chamber of the South African Republic. Uh, he was stabbed by an activist um, named Safendas. Uh, he was stabbed four times uh, in the neck and chest and was dead on arrival at the hospital on 7th of September 1966, this week in history. So, Hendrik Verwerd, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, please leave a review on whatever it is that you're listening to this on. Uh, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word, if you really like the podcast, or if you want to help me renew my Adobe Audition subscription. All right. That is it for this week, folks, and I will talk to you this time next week. Mm -hmm.